All right. Good morning. How you doing? Great to see you. My name is Troy. Welcome. Glad to have you here at the Christian Center. Um, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? This side did. Not so much over here. Wasn't that good? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I hope that you had an opportunity to connect with uh, family and friends and make some new memories. Uh, in fact, I've heard today, it's kind of crazy, I've heard some of you actually ran this thing called the turkey trot. Not you. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're, you're not so happy over here. Did you run the turkey trot? No? Some, I mean, nothing says Thanksgiving like getting up early in the morning and going for a 5K run. Amen? No way. I, when I was younger, I might have done that. Uh, I would maybe go out and run a race. Some of you are like, you're lying. No, I've run some 5Ks in my time. I might have run, run that race so that I could just enjoy guiltless eating for the rest of the day. But now I just skip the race and I enjoy guiltless eating the rest of the day, man. <laughs> well, uh, the truth is, though, uh, it has been kind of a long, hard year and a half for all of us. I don't think you would disagree. It's just been kind of a long one. And I think spending time with family members and friends um, has probably never felt better, and, uh, and it was good. And so anyway, uh, while I was with my family this week uh, having Thanksgiving, um, I had some thoughts. And um, we've been in a series the last um, month called The Spirit, and I decided to change gears and, and to just share some thoughts that I have with you, uh, that I had this week with you. Um, they're going to feel a little random, but I just pray that you'd stick with me. I, I, I promise that this will pay off and encourage you and challenge you. Um, I realized that we all have something in common, um, and that is, is that I believe that feeling thankful, feeling thankful is a universal experience. It's something that we all kind of do at times, and, and we can't help it. In fact, you might not know this, but Thanksgiving started out with just a very small group, a small community getting together to, to, to show their, their appreciation and their gratitude for the protection and the provision that God had given them. But then it kind of expanded out to other colonies and other people, and then pretty soon now it's this national holiday, and, and I think it's, you know, in some ways celebrated worldwide. And, uh, and so uh, it's just a universal experience. Uh, when, uh, more specifically, when good things happen to us, when good things happen to us, especially after we've been through a long, difficult uh, season, there's an instinctive, almost automatic feeling of gratitude that comes into our lives. First, we'll feel relief. We're like, oh, man, I'm glad that that's kind of over. Um, and then we feel thankful. Some people, um, they, they express it this way. They say, thank goodness you know, thank goodness that's over. Um, some people literally say, thank God. Uh, thank God that we made it through that. But however you say it, I believe that we all feel the urge at times to thank someone or something. And it's almost like we can't help ourselves. We have to, to do that. Now, I say almost because when it comes to showing our gratitude to other people, well, that's not always so instinctive or automatic. We don't always do that. Sometimes, for whatever reason, you and I, we withhold our gratitude from people who actually deserve it. We, we don't give it out. We hold it in for whatever reason. And, and, and I want to just caution you that whenever we do that, um, it creates a glitch in the system. Um, more specifically, it creates a gap um, in our relationship. And if that gap goes unfilled uh, for too long, it undermines that relationship. The relationship kind of begins to erode. And you might wonder, well, why is that? Well, I thought about it this week, and I, I think that there are a few things 
that are more hurtful to us than when we experience ingratitude. When someone doesn't um, give us thanks for when we do something nice for them, you know, because what? Ingratitude, it says this. It says, I don't care what you've done for me. I don't care. It's no big deal. Or I don't appreciate um, the effort that you made to help me. That's ingratitude. Or I don't appreciate the sacrifices that you've made to bless me. Uh, uh, Ingratitude says it's no big deal what you've done. Uh, So why should I have to thank you? And that kind of hurts. And and it hurts because um, it's the opposite of what we expect when we do something nice for somebody, right? Instead of getting a thank you back, instead of getting something back, we just have this gap of nothing. Where there should be something, there's nothing, and it's an empty feeling. It's kind of like playing tennis. You hit the tennis ball over the net, you know. You expect that they will hit it back. But instead, it just kind of bounces by them and rolls right into the net and just sits there. And you're just like, no, that's it? Nothing? And so that's kind of funky. And so even though there are few things more hurtful than ingratitude, check this out. At the same time, there are a few things more uncomfortable than pointing out ingratitude in someone else, right? I mean, that's not something that you like to do. None of us want to do that. I mean, pointing out someone's ingratitude kind of makes us feel childish, kind of makes us feel small, you know, like, you know, who? hey, you never, you never show me any appreciation for the things I've done for you. Or, hey, what about, what about saying thanks? None of us ever want to say those things. And, and when we do, and if we do, they may say, I'm sorry. But what they're really saying is, is I'm sorry that you're such a little baby and that you need constant encouragement. And, uh. and so that's not cool. And so I think pointing out ingratitude uh, when it happens to us is hard because it's not something that they're doing to us that hurts. It's something that they're not doing to us that kind of hurts. And that's the weird thing about ingratitude. Um, It seems huge when we're the victim of it. It seems like a big deal, you know. When someone's ungrateful, it's all we can see. It's like, oh my gosh, how could they be so ungrateful? I mean, don't they know? Can't they clearly see what I've done? You know, and and, and, and they just, (coughs) and and so when you're the victim, it seems like a big deal. But it's uh, completely invisible to the perpetrator, they seem to have no clue that what they're doing is wrong and, and hurtful. And so we, the victim, we see it, but the culprit is totally blind to the offense. And that kind of makes the pain that much worse. And so here's the thing I was thinking this week. I don't know about you, but um, uh, I have to be really careful with this because um, it's easy for me to just write off people who are ungrateful to me. Just, I just can quickly scrape them off. You know what I mean? Does anybody know what I mean? Uh, You know, gratitude is a big deal to me. And so if I've been generous with you and you were kind of ungrateful about it, to be honest, um, it's kind of a struggle for me to want to offer you generosity again, to do something nice for you again. I know that's petty. Um, And so it's something that I need to pay attention to and monitor and watch because um, as a Jesus follower, I am required to be generous on all occasions, regardless of how you treat me, regardless of how you respond to my generosity. Um, and the reason that I mention this to you, this issue that I have, is, is this truth. If you're taking notes, put this down. This is a good thought. Our accidental ingratitude 
undermines our relationships. Our forget, for forgetfulness to thank those who need thinking in our lives is actually kind of uh, tearing apart our relationships, and we don't even know it. I mean, the people that you're not being grateful to right now, um, even accidentally, they're, they're slowly moving on in their lives, and they're, and they're not even telling you that it's happening. They're just kind of stepping back and closing their heart to you. And the challenge with that is this, is that if you've ever been accused of being ungrateful, if someone has ever called you out on it, if you're like most people, you've probably gotten a little defensive about it, right? You know, someone comes up to you and someone comes up, think about it. Someone says to you, hey, I, I have a feeling, I have the feeling that you're taking advantage of me, you know, and, and, and you're taking me for granted. And what do we do? We instantly say, oh, no, 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 I totally appreciate you. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, you never show it. You never tell me. You never show it to me. And what do we do? We're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry because in my heart, I'm totally appreciative of everything that you're doing. Let me give you the translation for that. On the inside, I have grateful thoughts and feelings towards you. But, uh, and that may be true, but that's just totally meaningless to the other person. The fact that you're feeling grateful doesn't do anything for them. Amen? Am I talking to anybody here? Are you getting this? Why is that? Well, here it is. Here's a good line. Write this down. This may be the truth I want you to carry with you this week. Unexpressed gratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Um, uh, when we don't say thank you, people automatically assume that we're not thankful, even if we are. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. And so the point I'm trying to make is that feeling thankful is not the same thing as being thankful. <laughs> Some of you got this years ago. I'm just now tuning into that. Being, be, feeling thankful isn't the same thing as being thankful. And, and it's the same way with love. This is true for love. Uh, you know, I, I get a chance sometimes to counsel husbands and fathers. And, and, I, and, I, and I talk to them all the time. And I tell them, listen, you, can't, uh, you can love your family in your heart all you want. But if you don't show that love, if you don't say it to them, it doesn't mean much. You can have all the feelings of love going on inside of you, but if you don't show it and you just never say it, uh, it doesn't mean much. In fact, another way to put that is this. Um, um, it's the expression that counts, not the emotion. Right? It's the expression of love. It's the expression of gratitude that counts, not the emotion. The emotion and the feelings are good, don't get me wrong, but it's the expression that closes that gap and blesses the relationship. It's when you express your thanks. Now, if this is true, and I think it is, um, if you're married or you're in some kind of long-term relationship with someone, here's, here's a free tip. This is free. Ready? Don't let anyone out-thank you in your life. When I say thank, don't, I'm not th saying thank you. I mean, don't let anyone out-grateful you. Right? Uh, uh, be the most grateful person in that person's life. Why? Because it blesses the relationship. It really brings a blessing to the relationship. It makes the relationship stronger. In fact, um, I don't know if there's any middle schoolers or high schoolers in here. But uh, listen, uh, don't tell your parents I told you this. But this is a little secret. Um, if you want your mom and dad 
to be more yes people than no people, you know, yes to things that you want to do and yes to have more freedom. If you want that in your life, be out loud grateful. Say thank you out loud. Don't just think it. Amen? I'm telling you, uh, why? Because parents are so accustomed to being taken for granted, it will blow their minds out of their heads. They're just like, what did you just say? You said thank you, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, I mean, most typical middle schoolers and high schoolers, they don't think this way. They're not doing this. Uh, They're in their mind. They're thinking, well, of course I have a nice room. Of course I have nice clothes. And of course I have more food than I should. You're my parents. That's what parents are supposed to do. Don't be typical like that. Don't think like that. Turn up the gratitude in your life. Be more thankful. Be quick to be thankful for the things that are done for you. Why? First of all, your parents deserve it. But secondly, it'll melt their hearts. (laughs) Because gratitude is a language of the heart. And showing gratitude is powerful. It's powerful relationally. There's a famous story uh, from the life of Jesus that kind of illustrates uh, what I'm talking about here. And every time I read it in the Gospels, uh, it raises the, the bar of gratitude in my life. It raises gratitude. It makes me think of people that I'm grateful for um, in my heart that I haven't probably expressed with my lips recently. And it makes me think of those people and I want to reach out to them. Um, Luke, who uh, thoroughly investigated the life and teachings of Jesus, um, says this in Luke chapter 17. He tells us a story. In Luke 17, verse 11, he says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. My friends and I, we just got back from Israel last month. And I've never been in this area. It's, it's very remote And it's not a place that they take you and it's not a place that people go because not much happened biblically there. The Jews rarely traveled uh, in this area because they had issues with the Samaritans. The Samaritans, as you know, the Good Samaritan story, um, the Samaritans were kind of seen as traitors against Israel. So there was a lot of bad blood between those two. But in verse 12, it says that as he was going into a village in this area, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice. Now, before I tell you what they said, um, it's important to note what these guys' lives were like. It was a pretty brutal situation. They were living kind of in these borderlands, so they were already kind of on the edge. But more than that, they were living on the border between life and death. They weren't really dead, but they weren't really uh, uh, living either. They basically just watched other people live their lives while they kind of stood at a distance. Um, because back in ancient times, leprosy was uh, thought to be highly contagious. And in a culture that was fixated on clean and unclean things, lepers were considered the most unclean thing of all. And so you would avoid them at all costs. They had open sores on their bodies and that their mutated skin, because of these things, they weren't allowed to be near anybody. They wouldn't allow it social, you talk about social distancing. It was more than six feet with these folks. And, and the law required them to, in fact, live on the outer edges of a town, to live on the outer, outer skirt, outskirts of, of any community that they were part of. They had to live on the far part of that. And, uh, and so whenever someone came in their direction and came by, um, it was their responsibility to warn them of their presence and of their condition. They had to call it out and say, hey, Leprosy, be careful, 
we're here, stay away. And so these people, um, in, in, a, in a way, often created their own little communities. That's why you have 10 men of leprosy together. They, they would band together, and they would try to grow crops if they could, and scrap together whatever they could find to survive and endure the best they could. But the, the, the reality is, is that these, these people were in pure survival mode. They were hanging on by a thread every day. And the worst thing about it is because they didn't experience pain like you and I, their body in many ways was numb. Uh, small injuries, little cuts, little uh, injuries, bruises often went unnoticed. And then they would fester and they would get infected and their bodies, check this out, their bodies would literally and, and visibly deteriorate, fall apart over time. Just pieces of their body would fall off. And so it was just a, just a miserable life that these guys lived. And Luke says in verse 12 that they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice and they said these words, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, it's interesting that they called him master. That's a little add-on there. Because that was a term that would have been only reserved for those who were closest to him, who were following him. They, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he's a master. And those closest to him and that followed him would use that term. But these guys weren't those guys. They, they didn't follow him. They were clearly not his followers. But desperate times, <laughs> desperate situations require desperate measures. And so they, they laid out everything they had. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And, and apparently it got Jesus' attention. And in verse 14, Luke says that when Jesus saw them, he said, go. Now, this was probably not the word that they wanted to hear from Jesus because uh, for years, um, that's pretty much all they heard. They heard the word go, as in go away. Go to the other side of town. Go to the other side of the street. Stay away. Go. But Jesus, when he said go, he said it differently. He said go, and check this out, show yourself to the priests. Now this had to throw them for a loop. I mean, go to the priests? This religious thing that you're asking us to do? Those guys don't want to see us. We're, in fact, nobody wants to see us. They all want to put us out of their minds like we don't even exist. And what would we show them? Show them what? I mean, we have nothing to show. Okay, maybe I could show them where my left hand used to be because last week I fell asleep next to the fire and I didn't feel it burn my hand off. Maybe I could show them this, but they don't want to see that, right? Go and show ourselves to the priest. What are you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus had a, a, a dual intent here. He had two purposes. The first one is this, is that according to the Jewish law, anyone with a skin disease would not be allowed out of quarantine until they showed the priest that they were healed. And so the implication here is that these guys would be healed by the time they got to the priests. Well, that's a cool thought for them to think about a little bit. But this wasn't simple. Um, the second thing is, is this, is that, think about this. For the lepers to go to the priest before they were healed... That would require a lot of faith on their part. That would require a lot of faith in Jesus. I mean, it was a long uh, journey, miles to the temple. And if nothing changed on the way, 
These guys would be making huge fools of themselves and inviting a lot of scorn and ridicule from people. And they didn't want any more of that in their lives. And so Jesus making this request to them, this isn't a small thing. This is a big deal. Go, go and show yourself. Now, what would you do? Be honest. I mean, this is a weird request. Go do this religious exercise. Well, I would do whatever Jesus said, Pastor Troy. That's what I do. Come on. (laughs) You and I, most of us struggle with the simplest of God's requests when he asks us to do something, don't we? And to take a long journey in that condition. And more than that, most of us want our miracle now. I don't want to wait I don't want to walk through some process. I don't want to have to go on a journey to get my healing. I want it now, right? I want my miracle now. Why can't you just poof, make it all right? Why do I got to do this thing? We all kind of feel that way. But these dudes were so um, desperate for change in their life, um, they followed his advice. (laughs) And, 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 And not because it made any sense to them. It didn't make any sense Uh, they just did it because of who it was that told them to do it. They're like, okay, maybe maybe we'll do what you say. And in verse 14, we see this incredible verse that says this, and as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. In other words, as they followed Jesus' advice, (laughs) they were miraculously healed, and they were made whole again. They were made complete again. It's funny, they literally walked by faith. They literally walked by faith. We often talk in the church about walking by faith and not by sight. These guys literally walked by faith. They, before they knew the outcome, they, 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 they believed the promise. Before they knew what was gonna happen and, 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 and even experienced it, they, they followed the instructions and, and followed the promise. And subsequently, their lives were completely transformed. Now we could stop there, but there's more to this story and there's the twist that I want to get to. And this is the twist. Here it is in verse 15. Get this. It says this. One of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. He came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. (laughs) no more social distancing, man. He grabs a hold of Jesus and falls down at his feet and thanks him. Now, why did he do that? Well, it's obvious. He was grateful, right? He felt gratitude in his heart and he came back and he expressed that gratitude. Now, I'm sure that when he found himself healed, there were probably a lot of things that he wanted to go do first. I mean, think about it. You're finally able to be around people. You could finally get a hug. You could finally feel love. He probably wanted to run to his family and share the news. But that's not what he did. He realized that he first had to fill that gratitude gap that was there. Right? Just, Jesus had just given him his life back. And he did what you and I need to do probably a little more often in our lives. He went back to the one who helped him to move forward. 
He went back to the one who helped him move forward. And he didn't let his pride get in the way. He didn't let his hobbies get in the way. His interest, his busyness, he got too busy. He didn't let anything get in his way of his need to express thanks. Fortunately, um, that approach to life is all too rare. It was then, it is now. Um, look at this in verse 17. <laughs> Jesus says this. Jesus asked the question, were not all 10 healed? Were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now, the interesting thing is that in the original language, in the Greek, the word where comes at the end of the sentence for emphasis. That's how the Greek language is set up. So it literally reads this. Jesus would have said, the nine, where? Isn't that interesting? Jesus wasn't expecting an answer to that question. He was just making an observation. He's like, there's a gap here. <laughs> there's something missing. There's something unfinished. There's someone, or more specifically, there's someones who are missing right now. And they're missing their opportunity to close the gap. As parents, we know, we know about this. You know about this. When you were young, when you and I were a child and someone gave us a gift, what would our parents tell us to say? Say thank you, as in right now, when they give you the gift, you say thank you right now. Why? Because um, there, uh, there's an urgency to gratitude. Gratitude requires timing on our part. Time is running out. We got to close the gap. Hurry. We got to connect the dots as soon as possible. And that's Jesus' point right here. The nine were missing their moment. Their lives and their destinies had just been changed. They were destined to a life of misery and nothing. And now their lives have been restored. Their families have been restored. Their hopes and their dreams have been restored. But where were they? Now, before we judge these guys too harshly, I imagine that if someone, if one of us had confronted those nine on their ingratitude and said, hey, what's going on here? They probably would have been like us and they would have been quick to say, what? No, 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 no. We're, we're totally grateful. No, we're, I mean, our hearts are filled with gratitude for what Jesus did for us. What are you talking about? The problem with that is that they may have felt it, but they didn't express it. Sure, they were thankful to God for what he had done, but they didn't actually thank him. And Jesus was baffled by that behavior. Apparently, I mean, he was, he, he, in verse 18, he said this, he said, get this, and hear the hurt in his heart. Has no one, has no one returned to give praise to God? Except this foreigner? Now his question is actually a rebuke. <laughs> Only one returner? Are you kidding me? That ain't right. And as if adding insult to injury, Jesus points out that the one who did actually come back was a foreigner. He was a Samaritan, a lowly Samaritan. And many scholars believe the fact that Jesus pointed it out indicated that the others were Galileans. That they were from the same place that Jesus was from, Galilee. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, wow, wow. In other words, um, the people who should know me the best are kind of treating me the worst. This, this kind of hits home for me, my relationship with God. It may hit home for you and, and for us. Um, because think about it. Even though God has lovingly and kindly adopted you and I into his family, he's called us his children, and we get all the benefits of being his children, I wonder how many times we miss our opportunity to express our gratitude to him, that there are moments where we should really stop and thank him. Uh, in fact, every week, think about what we do here. Every week, you and I, we come back to church, and at the beginning of service, we're given 10 or 15 minutes to tell God personally and publicly um, how thankful we are. But instead, sometimes we just stand there silently, our hands in our pockets, our minds are elsewhere, thinking about lunch or the football game, while people are singing songs of praise around us. We're just... Listen to Jesus' words here, my friend. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this outsider? Well, it ends on a good note. Uh, in verse 19, Jesus then said to this one leper, rise and go. Now, it, it, this is the second time that Jesus said and told him to go. But this time there would be no need for him to return. There would be no reason for him to return. Why? Because the uh, circle had been completed. The gap had been filled. Thanks had been given. No need to, to come back on that. And so Jesus said to this man, he said, rise and go for your faith has made you well. Boy, that's sobering. I, um, I just before we close here, I want to make a couple of observations that might challenge you to wrestle with a little bit this week and think about this week. Uh, the first one is, uh, is one we've already touched on, and that's this. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the person who's done something nice, right? Don't fool yourself. We think our feelings of gratitude inside of us are enough for the people around us. But our feelings don't count because our feelings don't connect, right? What we feel on the inside doesn't really mean that much to the people that are on the outside. So don't fool yourself on that. And worse than that, oh, this, is, this will dig in. Number two, our ingratitude often looks like arrogance. You ever thought about that? Our ingratitude comes off like arrogance. The message behind ingratitude is, I could have done this without you. I don't have to thank you. I got this. I don't need you. I have found that arrogance and ingratitude are usually found under the same rock. That one begets the other. In fact, I have found that arrogant people are usually ungrateful people. And that ungrateful people are often kind of arrogant. That's kind of scary to think about a little bit. And so let me ask you a question as we think about this. Um, is expressing 
gratitude hard for you? Do you have a hard time saying thank you to people, to your family? Do you have a hard time saying thank you to maybe coworkers or uh, maybe a cashier at McDonald's? Or let me put it this way. Do you find it hard for your, you to give thanks to God? Do you struggle with, with giving him thanks and saying it? I mean, have you been in this service already 30 minutes and have you had a moment where he just said, hey, thanks. If so, if you struggle with that, have you ever wondered why? Why is that? Well, let me give you a hint. It, it may be because, and this is number three, gratitude sometimes feels like an admission of weakness. Right? Think about it. To be grateful, <laughs> you have to admit that you wouldn't be where you are without the help of someone else. For all you self-made men and women, to be grateful, would, you would have to admit that you wouldn't be where you are today without someone's hand of help somewhere along the way. And admitting that may feel like weakness to you. But listen to me. Um, admitting that isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity. It means you've grown up a little bit. It's proof that you've let go of your inflated sense of self. That you've kind of let pride take a ride in your life. That you don't have to be Mr. Independent Northwest Colorado. I can do it on my own. I don't need nobody. A grateful person, think about it, is simply someone who has kind of put their life in proper perspective. They understand that they wouldn't be where they are without the help of others. So, going back to Luke's story once more, who would you rather be like? The one who came back to say thank you or one of the many who didn't? I think it's pretty obvious. So those are some of my thoughts. I don't know where that hits you and I, I struggled this week with how to kind of end this talk. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a little heavy, I get it. But then I had a thought. I thought, ooh, maybe we could take communion together. Why? Well, we all have probably a few people in our minds that we need to run out and say thank you to real quick, right? But perhaps it would be good for us to start with our Heavenly Father, right? I think God gave us communion in part to help us deal with the arrogance and the pride that often rises up in us. Because to take communion correctly, you have to kind of come at it pretty humbly. You have to be humble. You have to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. And that he paid the price for your sin. And he brought you back to God. It was something that you couldn't have done on your own. You couldn't have done it. You were helpless. And communion is simply a way for us to admit that truth and to say... Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. So would you like to take communion with me? Yeah? Cool. Um, I, I thought that it would, might be appropriate, especially after this long year that we've all had. I thought it might be good for you and I to uh, take a few minutes to come back and say thanks to the one who allowed us to move forward.
want to invite you all, if you've put Christ in your heart or you're considering putting him back in the front of your life again, to come to one of these stations and take um, the bread and the cup um, back to your seat and, and to just say thanks. In fact, um, it's kind of like uh, at Thanksgiving this year and every year when our family gets together, before we plow into the turkey and the stuffing and the cranberries, we stop and go, hey, why don't everybody share what you're thankful for? And you go around the table and you say, I'm thankful for this or I'm thankful for you or I'm thankful... Maybe just do that in your seat together as a family or by yourself. Just take the bread and the cup and to tell God what you're thankful for.